listening to First Church Charlotte. That us preachers tend to preach about around the holidays, I, I love the challenge of finding a new way to tell the beautiful story, uh, the greatest story, and that is the advent, the, the coming of the Lord to earth. And I, I think there is no better image of the gentleness of the heart of God than to see or, or accept the idea of an infinite God of infinite power literally uh, taking upon the form of a, of, of a, of an infant, a, a baby. They're, they're so, uh, babies are so helpless. Uh, they, they're so dependent. And the idea of the one who has all power decides to fix the world, not through power, but through vulnerability. It just goes against, it goes against all the traditions of the human, the human psyche and the, the philosophers. And you would think that uh, a world of disorder would need order to, for, to fix it. You would think a world of, of, of trouble would need authority to fix it. It, it goes against all our all of our priors, as we sometimes say, all of our presuppositions, the idea that the one who has power would not show up and fix things with power, but would show up and say, tell you what, I'll, I'll fix this by paying everybody's bill. Um, it just, it's astonishing. I, uh, I was next door and the kids were going crazy before the service. It's easy to forget that nowadays we have uh, some, uh, almost as many people over there as we have over here, uh, but there's uh, a lot of kids going over there and, and uh, Phil grabbed the mic and straightened it all out and, and he came out and out there and uh, uh, Tiffany was standing uh, with me by the front door and he, she had heard something. She asked about what had happened and he said, well, I, I, the kids, the kids were, uh, let me see how he said it. He said, the kids were pushing me past the limits of my medication. <laughs> That's a great line. And I told him, I said, I'm totally still in that line. I'm giving you credit the first time. But after that, I'm going to pretend like I invented it just so you know. Don't push me past the limits of my medication. <laughs> it's a fun line. So uh, today I want to talk a little bit about purpose because the church is here for a purpose. Can I have a big amen? The church is not here by accident. I, I was intending to be pretty concise tonight, um, but Brother Robert uh, has been upset that I haven't been preaching very long, and so he brought me a whole package of cough drops. Where are you at, Robert? Right here. He brought me a whole package of cough drops in the hope that I would preach until this whole bag was gone, and um, so um, I want you to know that I'm not doing that, but in any case, uh, I want to talk about purpose, and so I'm just going to get started. We'll refer to some scriptures as we go. How many of you are glad to be in church? Yeah. One more time. Put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. All right, let's get started. I, I want to, first of all, have us all agree on this understanding, on this realization, on this truth, this... Uh, that, that the church is not here by accident. The Lord, the Lord did not fall asleep at the switch and the church accidentally remain in a world that is increasingly secular, a world that is increasingly uh, anti-Christ. Uh, it's not an accident that the church is here now. Uh, the Lord 
very much knows exactly what time it is on the redemption clock. And uh, he understands right where you are. He understands right where I am. And he understands right where the church is. A day will come when redemption's opportunities will be taken from all of us and we will be given uh, judgment. We will be stood, uh, as it were, before, literally, uh, before a throne of judgment and divine justice. And when that time comes, um, if, we are not, if we are not washed in the blood of the Lamb, then we're going to be in trouble because the image given to us biblically is the image of the Old Testament. It even Uh, children of Israel in Egyptian bondage and the death angel comes and the people who have the uh, blood of sacrifice over the threshold of the door the death angel passes over them but all who are un uh, they, they are they haven't that mark of redemption then they of course as you know they all of them are judged and receive the judgment uh, that has come upon them now we as believers we want to be covered in the blood of the lamb. Can I have an agreement in the house? Um, I want to live good and godly. I want to be as kind and ethical and uh, godly an individual as possible, but I also am aware of the fact that my best efforts are not even going to get me close to the cutoff. I, I need God to do what I cannot do. In fact, I can do nothing and you can do nothing to get ourselves to that, that cutoff of divine uh, holiness. All we can do is receive what God has done and then live in response to his love. You see, that, that's, that's very fundamental. Because if you or I could get there, then uh, it would be us who received the glory. But we can't get there. God's love paid that uh, debt for us, made up that gap. And so everything we do is in response to what the victory Christ won for us. If the church is still here, it's because God has a purpose for us to be here. So the question we need to ask as a church and as individual members of a church, we need to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of of the church? What is the purpose of our work in this generation, in this community? And we need to individually and as a community, a community of faith, we need to commit ourselves to that purpose. Now, if we are not going to fulfill that purpose, then we are in some way uh, have, we, we in some way have the marks of religion, we in some way have uh, the label of religion, but we are not fulfilling the works of the one who sent us, you see. And so when we talk about purpose, I have to, I have to give credit where credit due is due. The, 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 the pastor, the Christian writer who made purpose famous in the last generation in the large, larger Christian community is, of course, Rick Warren, who wrote the number one selling Christian book of this time uh, when he wrote that his series of books based on purpose. And uh, he was not the first 
first one to identify the five purposes that are shown to us in the scripture. In fact, if you read his book, and I have read his books, uh, he is the first one to say he was not the one who came up with the five purposes. They are very much uh, established and founded uh, in the epistles that are given to us in the New Testament. But to review them, if I just say them without giving him credit, anybody who has read his stuff or is watching this online uh, is immediately going to think, yeah, that's what was in Rick Warren's book. Yes, but before it was in Rick Warren's book, it was in the New Testament. And he would be the first to say that. I am not being unfair to him to say that. Five purposes that are fulfilled through a body of Christ. These are shown to us uh, in the scripture. Number one, you were planned. We individually were planned for God's pleasure. It is right for us to seek to know him. It is right for us to have community with him. When Adam and Eve were placed in a garden, it was a complete uh, work of God. It was a beautiful place. It was not lacking. It was not filled with the uh, errors of creation. It was a complete place, and there was fellowship there. It was a place where humanity and divinity were able to have fellowship. And so you see that in the in the book of Genesis, and you see how the Lord was able to commune, communicate, and spend time, what we modern people like to think of as hanging out. Uh, they walked together in the cool of the afternoon, as though after the day of, uh, of plans and, and uh, duties and whatnot were done, they were able to spend time together. This is a beautiful image because you were made and you were planned for God's pleasure. You will never be complete without God, and God has chosen not to be complete without you. Uh, the love of God, which is so astonishing, is to realize that he knew every flaw and error you have today. He knew you had it before you were created, and he chose to create you anyway. Yes. His acceptance of you is not today. His acceptance of you was before you were born. And his plan for you is that he will make you whole. He will bind up the wounds. He will set the broken places in your life and let them heal. And out of your brokenness will come a testimony of his nature. Because just as you desperately need a savior, there is in his heart a desperate desire to save you. And that's the redemption story right there. And so you were planned for God's pleasure. You are meant to know him. You are meant to love him. If you aren't spending time with him in personal effort, if you aren't setting time in your life to have quiet time. You say, oh, I'm not sure how to pray. Well, don't start with that. Start with quiet time. If you will make the space, prayer will be easy. But if you will not make the space, prayer will be impossible. Can I have a big amen on that one? If you will make the space, prayer will be natural. But if you will not make the space, prayer is almost 
impossible. Further, prayer is guilt-ridden, and it is in some way apologetic if you won't make space. But if you'll start with carving out some quiet time in your day, you will be able to get to know the presence of God and feel Him in your life. Number one, we are planned for God's pleasure. Number two, we were formed for God's family. You were not designed to serve God by your lonesome. Woe to the individual, the wise man writes, who falls when he or she is all alone because there's no one there to help them up. So it is with serving God. You were formed for God's family. Out of our togetherness comes a body of spiritual sovereignty and godly purpose. Out of our togetherness. And so the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. You were planned for God's pleasure. You were formed for God's family. You were created to be like Jesus Christ. The New Testament shows us again and again character lists of what the apostles thought your Christianity ought to look like. Now a lot of people will tell you a lot of things on what your Christianity is supposed to look like. Look in the New Testament. There is list after list. I won't take time for all of them. Let me just start with the most famous. Love. Somebody say love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here's the tough one, self-control. That's what the writer thinks your Christianity ought to look like. There is no, there is no witness of our lives if our character does not preach the gospel more effectively than our mouth. Because our mouth can be deceptive, but our character always preaches truth. And so the most effective preacher in your life is your character and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People like that, the writer says, they don't need a law book. Against these, there is no law. Uh, so the point is, we must become like Christ. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's natural for us to turn away from the lusts of our flesh. We all of us have strong uh, lusts of the flesh that war against our spirituality. I love, I love the, the personal example that uh, the, the late N.A. Urshan told about how he, uh, he had had a young man uh, come up to him and say this to him. <laughs> uh, I can't wait till I'm as old as you are and then I won't have any more temptation in my life. <laughs> and Brother Urshan said uh, the next day he was at the, he had bought something at a store and he had used a $100 bill and the lady who was making change had pulled out of the, the cash drawer and counted out change, but instead of tens, she had counted out $100 bills. And so he had like uh, $40 or $50 and then uh, nine $100 bills. And he said, I'm sitting there looking at this nearly $1,000 in my hand. And all I can remember is that young whippersnapper from college saying, I can't wait till I'm old and I don't have temptation. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, there's uh, another good uh, joke in that subject that I won't tell. Let's move along. So <laughs> um, anyway, we were 
created to become like Christ. Our endeavor to be godly is not a small thing. It's not to be taken lightly. And if our life does not show the evidence of our striving, then all of our theory and all of our theology will not resonate with the people we're trying to influence. If you are not trying to be godly, if you are, if, if, if your life is a testimony of carnality, if you can't stop talking like the world and acting like the world, and if you can't care what other people think of you, if you just bulldoze or uh, conversely, you just, you kind of like are lawless, you have no restraints in your life whatsoever. The problem will be is it will not be that you don't have a testimony. It's just, or let me restate that. It will not be that you don't have a witness. It just will not be the witness that will help anybody. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when he rebukes, uh, particularly in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, when he rebukes, it's not because this individual doesn't have a witness, the individual who is in a gross immorality and is ashamed, but it's because the witness is sending all the wrong messages. It is possible for Christians to have a life that sends all the wrong messages. Can I have a good, good amen on that? And all Although people will perhaps view you kind of like, well, that's good. He's trying to get better. Your your so-called, from the world's perspective, your so-called truth or your so-called theory or your so-called uh, philosophies, they will have no weight because you will not have a life that shows you yourself think it matters enough to try to change. You see what I'm saying? Now, as a church, we want to support everyone as they grow. We want to support everyone as they progress. And when people have setbacks, which we all do, and setbacks start on the platform, when people have uh, mistakes, when they, they fall back into old ways, it's not as though the church is in a rush to exclude them, to punish them, or to judge them. I want to point out to you real quick as an example, in the New Testament, every church in the New Testament had to deal with moral failings. How do we know that? Because we know human nature. Now, if you think the only church that had to deal with moral failings was the Corinthian church, you are, you are very naive about the human condition. Wherever there are people, wherever there are flawed people, you have moral failures, you have ethical struggles, you have all the sins of humanity. Every church had moral failures, but there was only one church where Paul called them out and rebuked them publicly, and that was the church at Corinth. Why is there any thing in the story that gives us insight to this. Yes, there actually is. This is a circumstance where Paul gives us great insight when he says, not even the heathen live like this. Do you see? When the shame of a certain type of felling is to the point where it is damaging the witness of the church. The church has to move to rebuke. The church has to move to, uh, to discipline. But every church that Paul wrote to had moral failures because it's humanity and Paul doesn't call any of them out or rebuke any of them. But when it got to the point of damaging the testimony Paul made a public rebuke. So as a pastor, that's something I, I always am weighing when I am dealing with circumstances. And thankfully, we don't have, we haven't had a lot of these kind of circumstances, and I haven't had to deal with a lot of them. I've had to deal with more than I wanted to, 
<laughs> but I haven't had to deal with them, and I, I thank God for that. But I want you to see, whenever there is a circumstance that does not rise to the level of hurting the collective or corporate testimony of the church, I'm going to try to deal with it in a smooth, non-humiliating, private way, because that is seemingly how Paul did it. But if it rises to a public shame, then I feel like we have biblical example of dealing with it in a public way. This is what I want you to see. We are in the business of building people up, not tearing people down. And when people are in sin and people are in error, I know some people are disappointed because I don't like publicly rebuke anybody besides Brother Ed. Now, Brother Ed, I public rebuke Brother Ed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or no, Adam. Adam is the new public rebukee. So <laughs> I want you to see, I'm going to err on dealing smoothly with people. I'm going to err on loving people. I'm going to err on making a place for people. Unless the corporate testimony is damaged, and then that would be the circumstances. But I want you to understand we are created to be like Christ. We are created to live with discipline in our life. We are created to be ethical. Can I have a big amen? You need to walk like you're a Christian. You need to talk like you're a Christian. You need to dress in a modest, an appropriate way. You need to walk in a modest and appropriate way. It needs to be moderate. It needs to be understandable. If your neighbor thinks that you look like, mm -hmm, then it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. So um, I want you to I want you to see how we are created to be like Christ. So number four, we are shaped for serving God. God made you with gifts, talents, abilities, and the like, and He wants He wants you to use your gifts and talents, skills, and passage passion for the kingdom of God. Number five, you were made for a mission. So I'm going to give you the review. Number one, planned for God's pleasure. Number two, formed for God's family. Number three, created to be like Jesus. Jesus Christ. Number four, shaped to serve God. Number five, made for a mission. And so in your life, if you haven't a purpose, if you haven't a passion, uh, and that passion is woven into your faith, then there will be no purpose in your faith. Your purpose will be in your career. If your purpose is woven through your family, then your purpose will be your children. And it's a, uh, that's too heavy of a burden for your children to bear. Uh, your children don't need to be your purpose for living. I know it's popular nowadays to say, my children are my purpose for reason. And I feel like I mostly understand what is meant by that. But I'm telling you, that is a burden too heavy for your children to bear. What you need to do is find a purpose that is beyond you or your children. Manifest that and testify that purpose to and for your children so when they come of age, they understand the beautiful benefit of a purpose-driven life. Amen. Do you see? We model purpose. Yes. And so um, we, all of us, have the, 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 the challenge in our life to be purpose-driven. There are five benefits that are uh, very much a part 
of uh, living a purpose-driven life. And so I'm going to read, this is Philippians 3, and I'm just going to give it to you in a conversational, kind of give it to you in modern vernacular. Uh, this is verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Um, Paul's saying, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Now, uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. The apostle Paul feels like he can't get Christ right if all he sees is the glory. Oh, he wasn't a very modern in his thinking, was he? Most of us think we get Christ right when we live in glory. He feels like if he's going to get Christ right, he's going to have to have the glory, yes, but he's going to have to also have the sufferings. And he thinks to be like him, becoming like him in his death. Paul thinks if he's going to be like Jesus, he's going to have to die in order to fulfill that. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I don't think I've already obtained this. I certainly haven't been made perfect, but I'm, I'm pressing on for that which is of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I take hold of that which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Uh, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I'm focused on, this one thing I'm doing above all else, I'm not looking back. One thing I'm doing above all else, I'm not looking back, but I am pressing toward what is ahead, the call, the purpose. I press on toward the goal to win the prize, which for God, which for which, excuse me, the, the, the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. So five benefit, benefits. Without Jesus Christ in our life, um, life has a very limited purpose. You must have a sense of eternity in your purpose or your life will always have a synthetic meaning. If everything's fading away in a short amount of time, nothing really means that much, does it. Just stay with me quickly. I'm not going to go much longer. Uh, but with Jesus Christ or with something eternal, then we're able to transcend. I believe God has a purpose for every one of you. In fact, the scripture says, I know the plans I have for you. This is a beautiful prayer um, uh, in Jeremiah. I know the prayer, the plans I have uh, for for you. Secondly, knowing your purpose uh, simplifies your life. So first of all, having a purpose gives meaning to your life. Um, the the Perhaps the most influential philosopher of modern times uh, is a philosopher I, I usually find myself at odds with. Um, but he, he said something that is true to the human nature, and this, of course, is the uh, infamous uh, philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And he said this, if a person has a why, they can, sur they can survive any what? If they have a why, if they've discovered a why, they can survive any what. So first of all, and I'm uh, no fan of Nietzsche, but uh, absolutely agree uh, with that statement. God puts meaning in our lives. And when that meaning is there, it, uh, God's work matters more than anything else in our lives. It places meaning there. Secondly, knowing your purpose simplifies your life. Paul said this, this one thing I do, this one thing, not these 97 things I do, this one 
one thing I do. I press, I press, I press, I press. Number three, knowing your purpose focuses your life. It focuses it. And so Paul says in this passage, I do not consider myself yet to have arrived, yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting the past, I am pressing onwards to that which is, is, is ahead. Having purpose will focus your, your life. As a pastor, my, my focus is on equipping this church to have as broad and as deep an influence in this community as is, as is possible. Um, that means as a church, as a pastor, my dream, my goal is for this church to have as much influence, as deep influence as it can in this community as possible. How do we do that? Our church does several things that not all churches do. Now, all churches that preach Christ, we have an affinity with them through Jesus Christ. Now, we have doctrinal differences. Uh, we have uh, historical differences and the like. And usually those are best minimized when we're involved in the broader work. Now, as we get deeper into uh, our, our systematic theology, those things matter. And neither of those other churches or us are are, are willing to, to really just lay those things down, nor should we. But I want you to see that any church has, uh, we have affinity with them, but, but we do certain things here at our church, and we have certain cultural things that we do that we very much, I feel like, makes us unique. And, and one of those things is our, our passion and our focus on being uh, as, as authentic as possible to the first church, as authentic as possible to the first church. And so that is why we baptize the way we baptize. That is why we seek after, we're, we're a spirit-filled church, and we, we celebrate that. We seek after that. Um, that is why we, we make uh, very much an endeavor uh, to have uh, influence before fellowship. Uh, we do things in our community simply to get to know people. We involve people. Uh, we have volunteers who work next door who don't, don't attend our church, but they volunteer. They're, some of them are teachers. Some of them are uh, we even have uh, we even have some executives that volunteer over there. Uh, they might visit sometime. I we had a, a a parent of a child who's never come before. She was here Sunday. I talked to her tonight. Came down to the front. I prayed with her right here. We agreed in prayer on some things. The Lord is working on her life. Uh, we we are we are content and comfortable with the the raggedness of humanity. And if all they will admit to is a desire to get a little bit closer to God, that's all we need to open our heart to them. That's all we need to open our heart to them. Our church is not like a tribe in the sense that, you know, a tribe has a hospitality function, but they don't really have open doors. They kind of select who they adopt. But once they adopt you, they can really give you tremendous amounts of help. That's kind of a tribal hospitality function. Our goal is to have not a tribal hospitality where we are definitely who we are and bless God, we occasionally adopt people into the tribe and try to work on them a little bit. Uh, that's, that's not my goal as a pastor. My goal is to have more of a hospital where everybody, there's more sick people than well people. <laughs> tribes don't have that problem. Tribes don't have that feel. Tribes, they, the most people are well at the tribe and they have, they have a hospitality function. They adopt a few people and they kind of, you know, work with them. A hospital, there's a, more sick people there than well people and everybody who is well is busy. Have you noticed that? <laughs> they're all there and they're all kind of busy and they're all kind of working and you know babies are a lot of work and sick folks are a lot of work it's a lot of care it's a, it feel, I understand it feels different it's not for everybody and that's okay but 
that's part of, of my goal and my dream as a pastor, to have a church that has deep, deep influence and, and does have um, a not just deep influence with those who keep coming closer, but we have broad influence just to people that they, I, I, I talked to a gentleman uh, today, he's never come to our service before, I was working the door over here, uh, his name is Tyrone, he's a great guy, his daughter comes, beautiful daughter, he comes in, he stood out there and talked with me, you know, the first few times he came, he didn't stand out there and talk with me, but now he's standing out there talking to me, he told me tonight, he said, I'll be there Sunday, uh, I'm planning on being there Sunday, unless I get called into work, I'm going to be there Sunday, now it's 50-50 whether or not he's here Sunday, that's okay, you know why, I'm going to see him next week. And I'm going to hug him next week. And if he never comes, I'm still a man of God. Why? My heart is open. My heart is open. I'm not just kind of looking around on who I'm going to adopt. Well, I'll take this one because, you know, let's, let's, let's love this one. And, and No, there are more of them than us. And we must, I feel like, to get that right, you have to get out of the upper room and you have to get out on the street and you have to tell the crowd. Remember the 5,000 that are fed? That's a, a symbolic number that is shown uh, of the crowd. It symbolized the unruly crowd, okay? But I want you to see that although the number get smaller as they get closer to Calvary and they come down. The numbers after that, yes, they get smaller and there's 120 on that day of spiritual outpouring and transformation. But right after that, there's there's 5,000 that have joined the church. So that symbolic number, 3,000 and then 5,000, those are symbolic numbers. Uh, There was, uh, uh, it's showing the crowd. The crowds are back. People who don't know much. People who just kind of uh, y'all serving any food? <laughs> yes, we are, honey. We are serving food. The cra- that is my, that is my, I feel like that's our purpose. I feel like that's our purpose. I feel like um, that, that, that as a pastor, uh, my, I, I wake up at night thinking on how can we make more friends? I wake up at night thinking, how can I meet more parents? I sit around in the day. I know, I know this isn't for everybody, but you need to fill my heart because I got elected here and I'll be the pastor here. And um, if it's between me and you, you're leaving, not me. <laughs> I meant that fun, but it came out kind of hard. But you understand what I'm saying? This is my heart. I want as much influence as possible. That means we have to be examples and our excellence of spirituality becomes inspiration and not exclusion. If you have a great prayer life, don't look at people in the church who are coming in or don't know how to pray and say, since we have people here who don't know how to pray, I'm going to quit praying. Heaven forbid. Your excellence should be inspiration, not exclusion. I know we can have a club for marathoners and just us excellent runners show up, you know, but this is not a club for marathoners. This is a running club where even if you're walking, you're welcome here. We'll just kind of run circles by you as we go. Oh, come on, runner. You see what I'm saying? I'm having fun with this, but I want you to see as a purpose. It focuses my life. It focuses my life. 
Fourthly, knowing your purpose motivates you. Paul says, I press, I press, I strive, I work, I press toward the goal, the prize, the mark, the high calling in Christ Jesus. And so it focuses me. And lastly, I'm almost done. Nathan, you can come and play. Uh, Knowing your purpose is in God's um, kingdom is tied up in your eternity. That's why the gifts of heaven are not tied to how good you are. They're tied to how well you fulfilled your purpose. Think about that. I don't have time. It's always after 8.30, but I want you to think about the crowns that are talked about in heaven. It's not about how you lived your whole life and never said darn. I guess I just said it. Y'all forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. There's no award for that. But the rewards are related to your purpose. They are related to your fulfilling, uh, winning other people to God. It's, it's very much a testimony of how you are able to do that work which was reflective of the heart of God. And so I, I, want, to, I want to remind you and I want to show you here Real quick, these five things, again, number one, knowing your purpose will give great meaning to your life. Number two, knowing your purpose will simplify your life. In other words, there's a ton of things that are not really kind of a waste of time. Number three, knowing your purpose will focus your life. Number four, knowing your purpose will motivate your life. And number five, knowing your purpose is knit up into your eternity. It's what God rewards you for. It's what God shaped you for. It is what God will celebrate for all eternity, the difference that you made. And so uh, we all of us, we all of us have things in our life that take a lot of time and we're always balancing what we're giving too much time to. Um, I, I want, I want, as much as the Lord would help us and as much strength and self-discipline that we have and focus and uh, zeal, I want us to be about our Father's business. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good call to arms for all of us to be about our, our Father's business. Um, Dr. James Dobson, uh, founder of, of Focus on the Family, he told a story in one of his, uh, one, uh, one of his uh, interviews about how when he was a young man, his goal was to be the school tennis champion. And he had success in high school. He went to college. And in college, his goal was to be a, a, a tennis champion. And he worked and he worked and he worked. And he actually won some very high-level uh, trophies for his college uh, on the tennis courts, and they took the they took the trophy and they they placed it prominently in the the school's trophy cabinet. And um, he graduated from school and he forgot about it and was living his life. And some years later, he got his trophy uh, in the mail. And it came to him in a box, and they said to him, they said, "We found this in the rubbish bin. Somebody had thrown them out, and we decided to track down the people who'd won them and try to send them to them." Uh, and his example was this. So much of the things we work for here in life, they don't mean that. They all end up in the rubbish bin. We gave hours to it. We gave days to it, and they end up in the rubbish bin. God's kingdom's not like that. When you give to God's kingdom, it's not like that. Um, 
everything that happens uh, around a church takes work. Everything. Everything that happens takes work. It takes volunteering. Um, on, uh, on Sundays, our children's ministries, we call it First Kids, um, it exists because of teachers who get there early, who prepare. It wouldn't exist without that. Um, right now, our student ministry, Dewan's next door, we've started, we've actually made some changes in, that, in their structure, and they're going to be in their own class on Wednesday night so they can be in our Sunday morning services uh, on the front row uh, on Sunday morning, which I'm super excited about that because I love having them, and hopefully they like being here, but I don't care if they like being here. Bless God, they're going to be here. <laughs> Uh, they need church. Can I have a big amen? <laughs> uh, you've all, most of you have been de- teenagers. You don't know what I'm talking about. And so it all takes work. So, so everything that happens takes work. Uh, and you guys know this. Um, but these things, they are wrapped up in purpose. They are wrapped up in a kingdom that doesn't have an end. They are wrapped up in a purpose for which God formed you. And I want you all to be challenged. If you have a, well, let me say it this way. You all have a divine calling and you all have a divine gifting and you all have a opportunity, a field in which to harvest. And as a church, our job, our duty, our obligation, our joy, and our privilege is to equip everyone who will to actually take their giftedness, take, respond to their call and work in their vineyard for the glory of the Lord. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for this church, oh God. I thank you for the the anointed uh, worship we have. I thank you for the the anointed teachers and volunteers and greeters and ushers and our worship team and our musicians and our staff. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for everyone who donates their time and their finances to make ministries possible, make small groups possible, make everything that happens here, whether it's prosper you next door on Wednesday night or Bible study over here, Lord. I want to say thank you for them. But Lord Jesus, I want to ask you to help all of us not get sidetracked by things in our life that are of secondary importance. But Lord Jesus, let us as a church, let us, let us be a light in this community. Let us have uh, kind of like a city set on a hill that from all around you can see that city. And you may be a long way from that city, but you have a sense of direction and you can see the lights. Lord Jesus, it it sounds presumptuous for us to think of ourselves that way, Lord. But that's, if if at all possible, that's how we want to be. Uh, We want people to feel like if I can get to First Church, uh, they're going to love me there. They're going to, they're going to, accept me there. Uh, They're going to make a place for me there. Uh, Lord Jesus, if you would so grant us the anointing to let this be a starting place for many, many people's spiritual journey, then we will, in any way we can, we will support them and, and love them and pray with them and believe for them. In Jesus' name we pray. And can the church say amen. One more time. Can the church say amen. Put your hands together one more time. For listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. 
pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.